Keeping Democracy Alive with Bert Cohen. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans themselves. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're really seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not the drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. For a while there, it looked like a great populist uprising. And there's nothing more frightening to the ruling power elites than the old image of peasants with pitchforks, angry people who've for many years put up with mean-spirited economic injustice. As our guest author Thomas Frank writes, it started in 2008 when a world run by benevolent bankers first started to crack. And for much of 2015 and 16, there appeared to be a serious populist uprising coming from both the right and the left. The stunningly powerful energy of the Bernie Sanders campaign caught the Democratic establishment by surprise. And at the national convention, the party nominee paid, well, at least lip service, if not fealty, to those millions of pitchfork-wielding lefties by adopting a remarkably progressive platform. But now that other alleged populist, Donald Trump, is proving to be a totally false populist. The fears of the ruling class who care about keeping power are no longer there. As our guest today writes, for much of this year, populism had the gilded class really worried Thomas Frank is our guest. He noted that another columnist, Thomas Friedman, seemed to be scared at the prospect of the American people, quote, not liking their masters anymore. Well, now it's the fall, and as the bruising primary process fades, and we find ourselves without a populist, uh, we find ourselves in the thick of a general election fight between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. As he notes, the Democrats are going back to their happy centrist plans. Thomas Frank, thanks so much for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive. Hey, Bert. It's good to be here. Thomas Frank is a political analyst, historian, journalist, and columnist for Harper's Magazine. He's also a salon politics and culture uh, columnist. He's a historian of culture and ideas. He analyzes trends in American electoral politics and propaganda, advertising, popular culture, Mainstream journalism and economics. His topics include the rhetoric and impact of culture wars in the American political life and the relationship between politics and culture. His many books include What's the Matter with Canvas, Pity the Billionaire, One Market Under God, and his uh, latest book is Listen Liberal, and he's the founding editor of the Baffler magazine. Long introduction, but hey, you've done a lot. Thanks so much for being with us, Thomas Frank. It seems to me that what gave Donald Trump his strength in the nominating process was that he had populist appeal, something neither the old standard country club Republicans nor the Tea Party faction really had. Uh, You say that Trump was, 
quote, the ugliest, most fraudulent manifestation, which is falling, failing so spectacularly that it may discredit populism for years to come. End of quote. That concerns me greatly. And at this point, I guess it's important to uh, to ask you to define the word populism. And please tell us in what ways Trump uh, turned out to be false populism. Well, populism is, you know, it's a reform tradition from the bottom up. So it's a, you know, it's where the idea is that um, instead of reform coming from well-meaning, you know, people in Washington who, who you know, like who, who, who are going to, you know, give you some you know, better policy than what we've had. It's uh, the idea is that reform comes from the bottom up, from right. specifically working class people. Uh, getting involved in politics and making demands. <clears throat> and it's a, a tradition that I identify with. Um, and Donald Trump's relationship to it is is kind of interesting. I mean, Republicans have been dealing in fake populism for a long time. So that's what What's the Matter with Kansas was about, uh, you know, which I wrote 12 years ago, it was about the fake populism of the culture wars. You know, which the culture wars are always. So what I did in that in that book is I did a very close reading of the culture wars and spent a lot of time with the kind of people who are you know really interested in the culture wars, who for whom it's really uh, motivating. And what what I discovered is that the the culture wars are always framed in terms of social class, of of uh, lowly uh, average people battling the elite. The word elite is always critical right. in populism. No, is it ever. What's what's fascinating about this year, I mean, one of many things, this has been a really interesting political year, was that this sort of working class faction in the Republican Party, um, you know, who they have, the Republicans have treated really poorly over the years. You know, they roped them in with all of this culture war stuff, all of this talk about anti-elitism, and then give them nothing. Or nothing of substance, anyway. Right, right. You know, they give them, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, symbolic uh, victories here and there, but never anything of substance. Well, these people finally, you know, here we are in the aftermath of the Great Recession. You know, this recovery that never seems to recover, yeah. and these people are, these people are finally demanding uh, something that, that the Republican Party give them something. And here you've got this guy, Donald Trump who seems to be uh, delivering on that promise. They're not, de- not delivering, he's not going to deliver anything, but right. who seems to be answering to that, answering that demand. So in two, and I would point out two particular ways uh, where his populism is, is kind of interesting. One of them is uh, on trade issues, where he is saying a lot of the same things as uh, uh, liberal, you know, very liberal people have been saying for a long time, people like me, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. I mean, he says it in a different way, but it's a lot of the same stuff. And then the other is on campaign finance, where he loves to talk about himself as, uh, you know, as a politician who doesn't have to answer to the 1%, to the big donors. Um, and yeah. uh, I mean, there's a bunch of other things that he talks about, like big pharma and stuff like that. But but these two are really fascinating, uh, you know. And that's these are a big part of his appeal. And uh, so uh, you know, this guy is obviously well, maybe not so obviously, but I was uh, you know, it looks to me like he's going to crash and burn. That's what I think is is uh, is coming. And I think he will. He deserves that. <laughs> he deserves that sort of uh, uh, very richly. Let's put it that way. And, uh, but, 
but when he does, and you have you know the Hillary Clinton presidency, which I think is pretty much inevitable now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so my question is, where does populism go from here? Exactly. And my suspicion is that populism will be uh, badly discredited by the Trump debacle. Wow, interesting. There's, uh, I've always had some degree of, uh, I don't know if faith is the right word, but appreciation for and adherence to populism, I have to say. And it's been part of the American tradition since before the uh, Constitution, when there was uh, Shays Rebellion, the Whiskey Rebellion. Those were populist uh, uh, rebellions. You know, who should the government serve? Who should the economy serve? The people who lent money for the War uh, of Independence or the farmers and, and just average people? And there was sort of a... Oh, con- that's it. That's exactly it. Yes. This this goes back to the beginnings of the country. Yep. And it was carried forth by uh, people I admire quite a bit. Uh, Huey Long, for example, who, who talked about, uh, you know, somebody having a tremendous amount of food on the table and a lot of people being really hungry. And that was in the 1930s. Yeah. Well, that's rare to hear somebody say that they admire Huey Long. Yeah, well, <laughs> he did a lot of good things. He did. I mean, there- yeah, yeah. He did. It's it's funny. I mean, because he's, uh, you know, we remember him as a demagogue because of right. uh, the you know the the sort of the awful way that he would behave in public and the, sort of the heavy handed way he ran the Louisiana state government. But yes, well, he did do uh, a lot of really good things for the people down there. Yeah, he did, even for black people, which was astounding back then. And of course, he came to uh, an early end in the 1930s. That's <laughs> He was shot, and uh, I don't know, it's, it's unclear as to how he died. But he did die, and I supported Fred Harris for president in 1976. Uh, uh, Thomas, you're probably one of the few people who knows who he was, I guess. He was a real populist. He was different from the standard liberal centrist Democrat. Of course, he did not become president. When has there been a real populist who exercised real power? Was William Jennings Bryan was? Uh, uh, It's the 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 answer that historians would give you is Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson or Andrew Jackson and his followers, so Martin Van Buren, that whole bunch. these were the, that was when uh you know the 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 country went from being in in the early days of the republic you, you had there were property qualifications to vote you yes. couldn't vote unless you were uh unless you owned land right. or owned property of some kind you also had to be white and you had to be a man yes and uh the property qualifications finally got uh got stripped away and that uh, well that was you know both Jackson's doing, and it's also what 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 uh, powered his uh, his movement. But he was the sort of original scary populist, uh, you know, uh, uh, becoming president and really dominating the era that he lived in. Now today we don't we look back at him and uh, and uh, yeah. and we think you know this this guy was really frightening because of his his policy towards. Uh, towards the, the Indians, yes. particularly, which yes. was you know brutal if not genocidal. Yes, and he was also, of course, a slave owner. He thought that that was okay to own other human beings. Um, but it, it, there, you know, there was also his very famous war with the banks, which is kind of the this is the sort of uh, what would you call it the original text of populist uprisings. Okay, the common people hmm. versus the banks. Mm-hmm. And this was this went on and on and on all through the Jackson presidency. This is really what gave his uh, his presidency meaning was his his war with high finance. 
and uh, um, you know that that tradition was uh, got interrupted very shortly thereafter by, of course, the Civil War. And then the other time that populism, uh, uh, well, I mean. I guess you would say the Roosevelt administration yeah. is the sort of classic example of uh, populism, you know, rising to national power and being sort of completely in the saddle and there's nothing anybody could do about it. But Roosevelt, of course, combined both populist populist ideas with uh, a lot of progressivism. So progressivism generally means reform from on high, from the top down. But the, the 1930s, you know, People are angry. saw this sort of... Great. It was this great period of labor activism, as you know, yeah. and uh, a lot of that did reach up into the, uh, uh, you know, in, into uh, into the power the structure, national politics. Yeah, it certainly did, and uh, and scared the heck out of them. And Roosevelt uh, made use of of that anger. I mean, there were in, in such desperate times, there were even a fair amount of Americans who looked to the Soviet style of communism as uh, yeah. as a way to take but, on the but banks. But again, but again, the war with the banks is is always critical. So Roosevelt's yes, exactly. war with Wall Street is again. This is the this is the basic earmark of of populism. And uh, there's one other chapter that I've left out, which is the 1890s when you actually had a, a movement that called itself populist. Right. And it was a farmer and worker movement. Uh, they started a, it was basically the last big third party movement in U.S. history. And, um, it's, uh, important to me because it was a, it was a really big deal in Kansas, which is where I come from, the state where I grew up. Uh, Kansas was completely taken over by the populists. A lot of the Midwestern states were. <clears throat> and it was, a, it was pretty radical. Uh, and it really shocked the sort of ruling class of the day. I mean, they they couldn't believe what was happening. And the way that movement, uh, that chapter came to an end was when the, the, the Democratic Party basically embraced the populist platform yes. and uh, embraced a, a bunch of their issues, um, again, mainly having to do with finance and banks, yep. and nominated this guy, William Jennings Bryan, as the Democratic candidate. And so the populists... Uh, most of them went over to the Democratic Party, and that was sort of the end of them as a as a national movement. Um, and it didn't work out. Of course, Brian didn't win. By the way, do you know the story of that election, eighteen ninety six? It's amazing. Well, it's it is the classic story of the common people versus high finance. Uh, you know, where where the the Republican candidate William McKinley, yeah. his uh, candidacy was uh, was managed by this guy. Um, Oh, what was his name? Hmm. Mark Hanna. Oh, yes. He was a financier from Cleveland. And uh, Mark Hanna was kind of the Carl Rove of his day. And at <laughs> one point, he went He went to New York. Uh, Hanna did. He went to New York, and he went around to, like, the the, 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 the biggest companies in America, to their, their corporate headquarters. This is, he's managing. Now, remember, this is before you have campaign finance laws or anything like that. Oh, yeah. He's managing the Republican uh, presidential candidate's campaign, and he goes around to the headquarters of, of all the biggest businesses in the United States, and he says, open the books, and then he just demanded a percentage of their profits. You know, <laughs> just deliver that to the Republican candidate, you know, so that we stop this crazy, you know, populist uh, William Jennings Bryan. Right. And they did. Yeah. Uh, they spent, you know, they outspent Bryan by something like 20 to 1. Mm. And there was massive, widespread uh, cheating uh, in that election in 1896. I mean, we'll probably never know who who really won, uh, but it was it, w- it was crazy. They thought that uh, Brian was a kind of, you know, that it was the French Revolution. 
yeah. would compare him to Robespierre, oh my. Uh, <laughs> to Danton, you know, that kind of thing. That's what they thought it was. Wow. Uh, and uh, now we look back and it just seems kind of quaint. <laughs> well, certainly, uh, and if you just tuned in, this, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest is Thomas Frank, author of uh, What's the Matter with Kansas and Listen Liberal. We're talking about where does populism go from here? And certainly, you know, Roosevelt adopted uh, a, a lot of uh, the populist uh, uh, sentiments that were said very clearly by, by Huey Long. And Democrats have been smart enough to co-opt a lot of the language over the years. And, you know, while sort of letting... Huey Long, you remember the biography of Huey Long from um, the 70s. I'm forgetting the, the author's name now, but one of the, the sort of the points that he makes throughout the book is that Long... Um, all of his policy ideas, such as they were, were came from populism from yes. the 1890s. Yes. He grew up in a populist uh, county. There were populists in the South, too. Oh, yeah. And uh, the, he grew up in the one county where they had really sort of taken over in Louisiana. And that was really his, um, his and his family's background was the populist movement in the 1890s. No, to interrupt you. No, it's a fascinating history. But it, I mean, it's, it's, it, it really is interesting how these things trace their way through American history. Well, it's like the populist uh, uh, ethic, the populist sentiment has never gone away completely. It was there, again, before the Constitution. It's still here. I mean, there are actually still a lot of Americans who kind of like democracy, genuine <laughs> democracy, <laughs> and, and not a plutocracy, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. and there are other Americans who have some degree of power, shall we say, really don't want that to happen who really don't yeah. want it to happen and let's take it that, that brings us to the democratic party of the 1990s now they always at least presented themselves as the party of working people a party of minorities and the middle class and i'm old enough to remember when we had a middle class in this country and we <laughs> we need a middle class for democracy but all that changed in the 1990s with the democratic leadership council and the clintons into what did the Clintons and the DLC transform the Democratic Party? And is it accurate to say that the party of Franklin Roosevelt has been abandoned and replaced by the party of corporations and big businesses? Is, is that what the Democratic Party is now? Well, uh, yes, that is, in a word, that is, that is I think, correct. Um, I mean, it's, it's a, of course, it's more complicated than that. The right. Democratic Party is a is a big mess. You know, I went to their convention. As did I. Did you go to their convention by any chance? I did. I was a delegate for Bernie. What a surprise, huh? Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah, so then you you were there and you saw all the presentations on the on the different nights. It is a the Democratic Party has so many constituencies yes. and is constantly reaching out to so many different groups that they oftentimes flatly contradict each other. Uh, you don't know who is who is who or what is what. For example, uh, there is obviously a big uh, peace faction, yes. the Democratic Party, a big anti-war faction. I imagine you're part of that. Absolutely. Always have been. And there's also, you saw on the last, the last day of the convention, a militarist faction. Very much uh, so. You know. It's called Hillary Clinton. They're in, in, in a very striking way. Yes. Um, you know, on the podium. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, uh, there's similarly, there's of course organized labor, one yes. of the traditional, traditionally, you know, most important parts of the Democratic Party. And at the same time, you have the Wall Street faction, which really hates organized labor. And so you have uh, you had all these presentations by union leaders, on I think the first day of the convention, and then you would go out to the parking lot and take your Uber. <laughs> right. Back to the hotel. Right. Because the Democrats had struck a special deal with Uber. You know, what if this, this is a company Not... that represents the exact opposite yes. of working class solidarity. I know, non-union, specifically yeah, so non-union. The Democratic Party is a, is a big mess and trying to understand, you know, Basically, they want to be all things to all people. Is yeah. what it seems like sometimes, and they're getting their way this year because Donald Trump has successfully, you know, destroyed the Republicans as, yeah. as a real alternative. And so the, the Democrats are, you know, they don't just want to be the party of their traditional uh, Democratic voters. They want to be the party of Republican voters too. They want to be the party of everyone. They're like the universal political party this year which is kind of amusing but uh but yes you can um make sense of it if you try and so this is what i did in listen liberals i went back over the history the recent history of the democratic party beginning in the late 60s and what you see is exactly what you were saying earlier that they did abandon uh the legacy uh franklin roosevelt and the new deal and they did it deliberately they said that's what they were doing yes and they reached out deliberately uh, to a different constituency, uh, uh, what, what, what they used to call suburban liberals or uh-huh. uh, affluent white-collar uh, professionals. There's all these different terms for them, but basically it's what sociologists would call the professional class. Right. Uh, and this, this is beginning in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. And when I say that they, the Democrats did this, I'm not you know, reading between the lines or... Uh, uh, you know, like like being very careful, or, or I'm, well, I am being careful, but I'm not. I'm not like taking liberties with the text. They said this. Yes, they were very open about this. They sat down and had deliberations and said, "We don't want to be the party of organized labor anymore, or not exclusively the party right. of organized labor. We want to be this other thing, this uh, liberal party that you know the, the 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 people that we want to represent are these other liberals, these affluent." Liberals. This is in the early seventies that they said this, really? and um, they started making their move. Then you mentioned the Democratic Leadership Council, which was a sort of which is a part of the story, but not the whole story. And uh, uh, that's really where they are today. And they, I, as you as you said, the main figure in this transformation of the party, the guy who really brought it to fruition, was Bill Clinton. This is this is really the the, the main the leading character in this story. Uh, with a secondary role for his wife, Hillary Clinton. And here she is, the nominee of that party right now. And, uh, you know, people liked Bill Clinton, uh, very charismatic, uh, likes to speak a long, long time. I'm remembering the 1988 convention. Yeah. <laughs> he spoke way too long. Yeah. I was there, too. But, you know, people, I think, don't they don't remember what Bill Clinton really did to the economy and how 
what what happened to the Democratic Party under that? And now you know we talk about populism not being of the elite, being for the for the everyman or woman. You know the yeah. the average people who I find it fascinating. You must too. Where, where I travel, you know, people who clearly don't have a lot of disposable income. That's where you often see the Trump signs because there is that that anger. You know the 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 low information voter, but. Didn't the Democratic Party, under Bill Clinton and others, kind of paint ourselves, I'm a Democrat, into the elitist corner? Don't we look like elite? Go ahead. Yes. They, yes, they did. And they did it deliberately. Now, Bill, we're talking about fake populists earlier, yes. we, you know, the culture wars and stuff. Well, Bill Clinton is, is one of the, the great fake populists of all time. You know, he's got that sort of wonderful Arkansas accent. When he wants um, it. He has a way of connecting with average people that is, you know, uh, mysterious. You know, it's almost, um, you know, supernatural. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. I mean, the man's incredible. He is amazing. And the way he remembers the names. Time, yeah, he, he is amazing. And yeah, then at the same time, this is the guy that, that, uh, uh, that, was the first Democrat to reach out to Wall Street and to imagine the Democratic Party as the vehicle of Wall Street interests, and he was successful in uh, in in trying to you know organize that change in the Democratic Party. This is the guy that got NAFTA passed. If you, you go back and look at his achievements as president, you know if you if you put Bill Clinton the person aside, you know he yeah. he's this kind of lovable guy that yeah. you like to listen to. If you put that aside and think about what he actually achieved as president, it's it's everything he did is a you know it's a terrible disaster. Now yeah, looking back yeah. after twenty years, think about it. Can I go down the list? Yeah, sure. Uh, the first thing he did was NAFTA. Yes. Okay. This was a Republican proposal. It was. Uh, the Republicans couldn't get it through Congress because Congress used to be controlled by Democrats back then. Mm-hmm. Clinton got it done. Uh, the ninety-four crime bill, which was the great prison roundup yes. of our time. I mean, this Mass is a incarceration act. Yes. Another Republican uh, idea, Clinton got it done. Uh, bank deregulation, which he did uh. at the same time, by the way. He did, he did bank deregulation measures all through his administration, one after another, after another, after another, culminating at the very end in the repeal of Glass-Steagall and in a yes. couple of other, you know, momentous acts of bank deregulation. That, these were Republican ideas. These were things yeah. that Reagan wanted to do but couldn't get done. Right. Well, Clinton did it. Clinton got them done. Um, let's see, what am I forgetting? Oh, welfare reform. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, that huge. Yes, huge. You know, this is. It, it, it's. It's. He was undoing one of the central New Deal measures. You know, the the measure that said that the, that our country, the federal government, would take care of children being raised in poverty, that, that we had an obligation. Now, there was a lot of things wrong with welfare, with the welfare system back then, but what Clinton did was abolish it, you yes. know, basically hand it off to the states to do whatever they wanted with it, which is no solution at all. And no new jobs were created. If you created jobs, that'd be one thing. If we had public works well, programs... They, but, the, but the thing is that they were created... Uh, this is kind of interesting, because they, the, the economy was growing by leaps and bounds at that time. Do you remember... 96, 97, 98, 99. Yes. It, the economy was growing like crazy then. And so when he did welfare reform, which in an ordinary time would be thought of as a really cruel 
thing to do. It didn't really scare people, and it didn't frighten uh-huh. people because um, you know there were jobs out there. The economy there, it was the closest in my lifetime that we have ever come to full employment. Mm. Now, why did that happen? Was that was that because he was an economic genius of some kind? Uh, it was actually a stock market bubble. You know, it's yeah, it's funny though. People um, when they look back at the Clinton years. They they think of it as good times, yeah. and I think, and, and that's accurate. It was good times in those years. The economy was growing at this insane red hot pace. Yeah. But by that same logic, you know, the 1920s were a great time, yeah, and they, you know they were. It was a great time to be oh, alive. Yeah. But these were not uh, sustainable yes. prosperities. This wasn't like the kind of prosperity that you had in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, where it's based on middle-class prosperity, wages going up. This is a uh, prosperity that's based on something different, which is an asset bubble. You know, first you have... Uh, uh, you know, you have a, you have a stock market bubble, and that gets transformed into a real estate bubble. And, that, and now look where we are. We've got nothing because uh-huh. middle class, the, you know, the situation of middle class workers has gone nowhere for years and years and years. And that did not change. It did not improve under Clinton. No, it didn't, it didn't improve under Barack Obama. And people that I think used to you know, be. Uh, find their identity somewhat and supportive of the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, when they sort of abandon the the base of the party, and I still see that now. In fact, that since the Democratic Convention, uh, our, our nominee, Hillary Clinton, has held uh, many super big dollar fundraisers, $50,000 per person, even 200000 per per guest, I understand. This is the opposite. Crazy. Oh, my God. It's the opposite of the working-class-focused Democratic Party we used to be that Bernie was talking about. And after laboring to crush the Bernie Sanders populist uprising, the Democratic Party, has it so quickly abandoned all pretense of working for Americans, uh, formerly known as the middle class, as you write? They're not going after the Sanders people. They're not going after the Democratic base. Are they just being strictly uh, country club Republican? Is that it? I mean, do, do they think... Well, I want to remind you of one of the slogans of Clintonism. Which is, uh, it's, it's this phrase, they have nowhere else to go. Right. Okay, so when, you remember when Bill Clinton was running for president in 1992, maybe you don't, but I'm old enough, I remember that. Oh, I do. He was running for president in 1992, <laughs> and he, um, he engineered this media event where he insulted Jesse Jackson to his face. The, uh, Jesse Jackson was the kind of demon figure for centrist Democrats at the time. They oh, yes. Him. yes. And so Clinton set up this situation where he insulted Jackson uh, while the cameras were, were rolling, and they called this the sister soldier moment uh, yeah. uh, for complicated reasons that, that nobody remembers anymore. Yeah. But th- that's what it was. And um, Clinton did this you know, as a way of showing the, uh, you know, voters that he wasn't beholden to traditional Democratic constituencies like minority voters, that he didn't, he, he wasn't going to do what they wanted him to do. And, uh, and, and, but he also did it because he knew that he was safe in doing it. Yeah. That those, uh, the, the people who supported Jesse Jackson, weirdly people like me, incidentally, um, that those people had nowhere else to go. Right. This is a famous saying that you saw a lot at that time. They had they have nowhere else to go. What are they gonna do? You know, go out and vote for uh George Bush? Right. You know, no way. They're gonna sign up for the Republican Party? No way. 
you heard this, the phrase again uh, the next year when he was uh, working for NAFTA, and this time it was organized labor was in the crosshairs. Right. So organized labor was, you know, obviously profoundly opposed to NAFTA, to all of these free trade deals, and uh, was putting everything into fighting it, everything. Yeah. You know, they were pulling out all the stuff oh, to fight their own guy, Bill Clinton, you know, who they had worked to put in, in, sure in the White House, and yeah. now here they were putting everything they had into fighting their own guy uh, on, on NAFTA. And again, you heard this phrase, they've got nowhere else to go. Clinton could do whatever he wanted to organize labor, because what are they going to do? Again, sign up with Newt Gingrich? You know, no way. <laughs> They've got nowhere else to go. And Hillary Clinton is doing the exact same thing today, of course. So, yes, she made all these concessions to the Sanders people uh, in writing the Democratic Party platform. Yes. But, look, Bert, you and I and everybody else knows everybody. that that means nothing. Yes. That it is empty. Well, but What matters is personnel. Personnel. The only personnel choice that she's made so far is her vice presidential pick, and she did not make. Uh, she did not choose someone from the Sanders wing of the party. She chose someone from the Democratic Leadership Council wing, from the Clinton wing, from yeah. her own wing. And she, you know, she's not trying to unite the party. She doesn't care. Why? Because you've got nowhere else to go. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm like. Um, you know, going to go out and vote for Donald Trump or something, or something like that. I'm just pointing out that this is how they operate. You know, this is what they do. And until our side finds a way of, you know, of of making the victories, uh, the, the victories building on the victories that Sanders won, you know, it, it's going to continue like that. They can ignore us with impunity. Mm. Oh, how frustrating it is! But hey, we got to face. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I mean correct reality. Me wrong here. I think. No, no. I, I think I've I've stated the situation accurately. Oh, I I think so. And and you say uh, the populist challenge of the past eight years, whether led by Trump or by Sanders, will have been beaten back resoundingly in the upcoming election. Central centrism. Let, let me just give you my my pessimistic scenario. Oh, sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. The, no, go ahead. Can, uh, Okay, I'm, I apologize. I'm not trying to be rude. It's the phone. It's the phone line. Oh, sure. I always blame. No, it makes for good radio. Actually, interruptions are fine. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. Well, um, so look, you've had in the last eight, ever since the the, the crash, the financial crisis and the crash oh, wait, in oh, 08, yeah. Yeah. you've had this series of populist uprisings. You know, you had the Tea Party movement. Uh, you had Occupy Wall Street. You had so yes. the Tea Party movement, which is kind of a fake uh, populist uprising. Yeah, you had culture, the, the right. Occupy Wall Street, which had, which was a little more genuine. Oh yeah, I think a lot more genuine. Yeah, but you had you had you know dozens of other uh, things. You had the Glenn Beck moment oh. on TV. Remember? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's been many many exam many many different sorts of populist movements. Well, uh, the Obama campaign in 08, for God's sakes. Remember those True. crowds that would show up? Remember mm -hmm. what a hero he was yeah. in 2008? Um, but, but anyhow, all of that, here we are eight years later, and you know the, the economy has been in recovery, as they say, uh, since late 2009. But for average, been the Dow Jones Industrial Average is oh, way yeah. up. It's at all-time record highs. Yep. You know, uh, but for a lot of average people, they can see that something structurally has changed and that their 
the standard of living that they had before 08 is never coming back. People can see that now. This is, uh, yeah. you know, this is there, there's a kind of permanent uh, upswelling of anger in this country but, at what's happened to the middle class. But what can and, be uh, done about it? This That's is the a question. recovery like no other recovery that I've ever heard of, where a big part of the population is basically just left out of it. Yeah. And so you have uprising after uprising after uprising, and the latest, and I think probably the last ones that we're going to see are Sanders and Trump. Yeah. When I say the last, because I think, where does Sanders go from here? Well, he himself isn't going to run for president four years from now. You know, I think he's probably too old. Yeah. And I also don't think you're going to get a real democratic challenge to the woman who will be, after all, the first female president. Mm-hmm. And the vanquisher, the great vanquisher of Donald Trump, who we're told is this, you know, I mean, and he is, he's a, he's a, he's a nasty, uh, horrible, yeah. uh, frightening yeah. uh, bigot, yep. you know, yep. and she will be the heroic vanquisher of Trump. There's yes. no, no liberal Democrat is going to stand up to her four years from now. And I think when Trump goes down this fall, and I think he will, the question is how badly will right. he lose? Right. I think he is going to discredit uh, along the way. The you know the whole uh, opposition to trade to to the trade deals you know uh, the whole fair trade movement and I think he's also going to really discredit the whole uh, uh, uprising against money in politics. These are two things that he has identified himself with. You know uh, it, he talks about them in every single speech. Yeah. And so. So when he goes down. Those ideas down the 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 non populists of this country, whether Republican or Democrat, will use those uh, will use Trump to I think unfairly, but they'll do it nevertheless to um, malign the uh, uh, you know people who oppose tra- uh, trade deals, people mm. who have questions about uh, campaign finance. All those issues are about to be swept away. I think I think he is going to uh, put it this way: set back the cause of reform. By a long, by by a lot, which is an ironic thing to say because Trump has never really been interested in reform. Trump is just a blowhard. Yeah. Trump, I mean, Trump makes Huey Long look really good. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe even you know another alleged populist was uh, George Corley Wallace. You know, and yeah. he he hurt the populist uh, image and identity as well because people, I think, got to see oh, populist, racist. Eh. No good. Yeah, Forget yeah that's it. right. Well, that's another thing that Trump will do uh, uh, do for populism is he will identify it with racism. Yes, for a long time to come, yeah. I think. And yeah, that's and xenophobia. Doing our side no favors here, but that's uh, that's look. That's one way of looking at it. That's one way of looking at it. Well, um, that's that's what's that is what is coming if Trump. As everything is going right now, if Trump loses in a dramatic landslide, which I think, yeah. I mean, that's what all the polls are saying right now. But who the hell knows what's going to happen? And I don't want to root for Trump. I can't. Stop no, of this course guy. not. No? Of course not. Well, is it? So it's. We're, I mean, we're in this very interesting situation here, you know. But I think there's other alternatives. Uh, there's other alternatives. I mean, if Trump uh, recovers in the polls. Hmm. Uh, and this is this is interesting. You think about it. It's a little scary, Trump, but go ahead. The, the group that he appeals to most is uh, white working class people, men. Right now, yeah, especially men. But he's trying to reach out to uh, black working yeah. class people, and he's he's not having any any success with <laughs> what that. What a surprise! Yeah. But let's say he wa- let's say he was let's say he was for some reason uh, 
that he was successful at uh, you know at at at, at uh, putting together a kind of working class coalition, which he always says he wants to do. Um, that would be another very interesting scenario because what would Clinton be required to do? That, that would make force Clinton to you know she could no longer hobnob with the Wall Street guys, you know. <laughs> that would be the end of that. She would immediately have to swing back towards the sort of Sanders approach, which would be fascinating. Mm, could happen. In this very interesting situation, it could go either way, I think, but I think it's far more likely that what you're going to see is a complete wipeout yeah. for Trump. You're going to see uh, the Republican establishment take their party back from his people. Yes. and uh, uh, And you will see... The reform, the populist movement of our time, I think, discredited and disgraced for a long time to come. But there's still Bernie Sanders. I mean, it's he's you know got nowhere near the uh, the star power that he had uh, for most of this year. Uh, and but as often happens with, uh, and I hate to mention cult of personality, but he was the guy. Without Bernie. I don't know how far the movement goes, and I hate to say that because, you know, I, I was a big fan. I wanted Bernie to run before he decided to run. But, you know, again, assuming Trump is crushed in November, as I believe he will be as well. So will that have the effect of reinforcing the rightness, the correctness of the neoliberal power of the gilded ruling class? Does that just lock that in? It, yes, it will. This is this is a kind of 1896 through the looking glass, hmm. you know, with Trump as a sort of <laughs> racist William Jennings Bryan, you know, with well, sort you know all of these things stood on their head. That's that's what I, that's what I think. And when and and he's going to go down, and it's he's going to go down in flames, and. Uh, I think it will discredit. By the way, I, I don't know if Sanders was the best uh, leader for the kind of populist moment that we're in now. He was a very unlikely leader. Yes, think about that's it. for he sure. Wasn't, he, this is a man who I like him. I mean, and he's and he is as politicians go. He is surprisingly clean. You think about all the scandals oh around around the Clintons. You yeah. know, all of these little petty. Uh, instances of self-dealing, you know, most of them not illegal. Right, I, I agree. I'm, you know, I'm the first to say that. But they're, but they're ugly none, nonetheless. Like oh, you yeah. just said, she's, you know, raising what hundred thousand dollars a head to sit to to go to a fundraiser. That's like that's obscene. It is. But that's so Clinton. It is. I know. It's just so about Clinton. her. But and Bernie would never do something like that. No. And so in that sense, he was a, he's a, he's a great man. But he's also. Um, he's always been a marginal figure. Yo. He's he's never been part of the Democratic Party until this year. He signed up, you know, just to run yeah. with them. Yeah. Um, he's you know he's old. He's not gonna. He's probably not going to try again four years from now. Um, in some ways, a really great uh, American, but in other ways, you know, not the sort of optimal leader that you want. It, it's funny because he's not a charismatic speaker or. Uh, uh, you know, inspired or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, he's like what people would not Same expect. things over and over and over Oh, my again. God, I know. I could give a speech. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not saying... It's refreshing. I like the guy. I voted for him. I think oh, yeah. he's great, you know. But, uh, but you know, it, it, I think uh, there's plenty of other people who could have led and who could still lead in the future. I just don't... I mean, my own opinion is that it was Elizabeth Warren's year, that she was yeah. the one, had she run for the presidency no one could have stopped her certainly not hillary clinton yeah i i was donald trump i was uh part of the draft warren movement at first and uh 
Uh, it's a little surprising. There, I mean, it looks like Russ Feingold will be coming back into power, and uh, maybe some of the old uh, Democratic farm labor people out in the Midwest. I don't know. Maybe yeah. there may be others. If you just tuned in, Sherrod Brown would be good. Oh, There's Sherrod a lot of Brown, a lot yes, of really indeed. good Democrats out there. Yeah, but uh, who, you know, from that wing of the Democratic Party. But I don't. I don't know. I think we're going to. Um, by the way, so I'm working on a story right now about the way the mainstream media uh, reacted to Sanders. And when you actually go back over it and look at the sort of stories they were publishing, you know, look at them in the, in their granular detail. I mean, it's really shocking. They came down on this guy like a ton of bricks. They sure did. I and know. I wonder if they would have reacted that way to other other people. Like they didn't. I mean, I don't know. Well, maybe they. I mean, I'm sure they would have, of course. But I'm thinking of other liberal candidates over the years. You know, wouldn't wouldn't have attracted the kind of the kind of hate that yeah. Bernie Sanders did. And by the Dismissal. way, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't understand why he, I mean, I have my theories about why he attracted, why he was a magnet for this kind of hate. Well, But, you know, he's not an offensive no. person. He's not a corrupt person. Not at all. Um, but he has that word, socialism. And I heard it said years ago, that, yeah. when people hear the word socialism, they stop thinking. You know, yeah. it just just seems like I, I don't the know other. why he does that. Frankly, I mean, I, why don't he uses, I was surprised. If you ask me, his was his uh, his proposals were very familiar New Deal style. Absolutely, like his, traditional his Democrat. Proposal, that's Harry Truman. You know, he was <laughs> the, getting college for free. That's the GI Bill. I know these things are like deep in the American grain. They're not strange. They're not alien or foreign or socialist. They're like that's. That's classic, you know, New Deal Democrat kind of proposals. Well, yeah, and and uh, you know, to me, the traditional Democrats. I mean, I know a lot. Having been elected myself, I know a lot of traditional Democrats. Every one of them around here, of course, they were for Bernie because she, Hillary Clinton, is not a traditional Democrat. She's something else. What happens? To the Democratic Party, if she you wins. Mean, what? You mean old Democrats? Oh yes, okay, old Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> you remind me of, I, when I when I uh, when I write books, I go on book tours. You know how authors do, and one of the places that I love to go, probably that I like to go better than anywhere else in America, is Wichita, Kansas. No? I, I'm I'm well known in Wichita, uh-huh, and sure. there's also a crowd of people that come out to my events, and that wonder uh, that always in the past would say like you know what's wrong with the democratic party why can't they get off their butts and do something about what's going on and uh these guys have been uh, there aren't as many of them as there used to be and it uh most of them were world war ii veterans okay uh-huh. they had, like cast a vote for roosevelt in 44 right and yeah. so they remembered and uh I took a picture when I when I spoke in Wichita in 2004. I took a picture of the audience, and it was all of these white, you know, white heads. You know, mm-hmm, people sure. with very. It was older people. That's yeah. that's who that's who reads my stuff. Well, that's. And, uh, I mean, Franklin Roosevelt to me is the heart there of the party. There aren't that many of those people anymore. No, we're trying. So what what happens to what Wellstone called the Democratic wing of the Democratic Party when Hillary Clinton wins? Will that be the the end of it do you think i mean where does where does that i mean wellstone died rather mysteriously in my opinion but uh you know he was of that traditional part of the democratic party he was not an old guy either what happens to that wing of the party you know will we be able to to push on her i mean i have been hoping that you know 
if Republicans down the line are rejected and we actually pick up seats in the in the House and the in the Senate, maybe that will empower the left or, or, or you know give voice it, to it this. Might, that might happen. I mean, there's a like I said, there's lots of good Democrats, good liberal progressive Democrats, populist Democrats. Yes. At at the lower levels of the party, lots and lots and lots of them, and it is very possible that something like that will happen. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm not optimistic. I think the Democrats might take the Senate. I don't think they're going to take the right. House of Representatives. Right. Um, I think that's going to require a little more strategy because, they're, they're, I mean, the Republicans have entrenched themselves in a really remarkable way. It's going to uh, take a lot of doing to uh, overturn that. Um, so uh, I mean, the it's very possible that you'll have a large uh, liberal caucus in, in Congress. I'd like to see that. We'll see. And so maybe they could push on. I mean, th- that's one of the arguments that I have used why I plan on voting for Hillary Clinton was because, you know, if, if Trump wins, forget there's no possibility of having any pressure on him. But at least if we have a Democratic Congress and a Democrat in the White House, at least in name of, you know, Democrat, then there's some possibility of, of pushing on it and what about that you know there, there is let's face it when i grew up in the it, hey well let's try to be optimistic here for a second maybe hillary is going to surprise us all i mean i think yeah, maybe um looking on the bright side i think she's uh certainly be, uh, a better uh a better liberal than her husband <laughs> yeah interesting i was gonna in my mind with that she is i was gonna ask but, about that and the fact that one of my heroes I, I'm, I'm going to be feel much better about voting for her than i ever did about voting for her husband i i could not stand bill clinton this is a man that i that i never trusted uh i i think she's uh i think she's going to be she's a terrible campaigner oh, he was a great campaigner true he's a terrible campaigner but i think she'll be um a better president than he was. Interesting. Well, one of my many favorites from, from years past is uh, Dale Bumpers from Arkansas, who said the qualities that are required to be a great candidate for president are the very same qualities which should absolutely disqualify you from ever holding that office. <laughs> yes, that's good. That's good. And that's very true, you know. Oh, my goodness, yes. That's, that, and that's one of the reasons why Sanders was such an anomaly, yeah, you know. Yeah. Here's this guy who, you know, he never appears without that suit on. He's always wearing that suit. He's so formal. Yeah. You know? He's he's the opposite of the Bill Clinton type. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's I remember there's these great descriptions of Clinton. Uh, one of the books about Clinton that I that I really liked uh was uh Joe Klein's novel. It was called Primary Colors. And he, Joe Klein is very pro Clinton, thinks that Clinton is right on the issues. And I, I disagree with that. But his descriptions of Clinton are fantastic the way that clinton works a crowd um, you know the way that he he it, it's like there's this love radiating yes. back and forth yes that's true you know between bill and the oh, uh, and the he's audience. a master at that you know, and, and, and and a love that is sometimes manifested in other ways let's say. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's for sure true. If you just tuned in, we have, uh, oh, another 10 minutes or so left uh, for uh, Keeping Democracy Live. It's a full-time effort, though, doing that. But, uh, you know, I, I was amazed in 2008, one of my favorite all-time liberals, George McGovern, supported Hillary Clinton over uh, uh, Barack Obama, which I thought was fascinating. It surprised me. I never could quite figure that out. And you know, you look at her. There's, there's person. There's a lot of personal loyalty there. Oh, maybe. But Hillary worked for him. 
Oh, that's true. Well, that would explain. Yeah, back in the seventies. And you got to remember something about the Clintons. They have been around a long time. Long time. And they uh, they have been making promises to everybody yeah. all these years. You got you got you got to keep that in mind. The the Democratic establishment this time around was behind Hillary Clinton to a, a degree that I've never seen before. You know, they had a they had a real challenge on their hand. They had two candidates from the two wings of the party fighting it out. But the entire party establishment was behind uh, Hillary. There was no, it wasn't like the party was evenly split or something like that. The entire party establishment was behind Hillary. Yeah. Um, the, the Clintons are well known. Everybody knows who they are. They've Everybody's been promised something yeah. to the Clintons. When Hillary becomes president, everybody in the Democratic Party moves up a notch. You know, if Bernie Sanders becomes president, I mean, who the hell knows what would happen? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Who's Bernie Sanders going to put in as Treasury Secretary? You know, the idea Oh, I'd is, love to find out. The idea is, you know, it's crazy. Well, and Hillary Clinton may put in as Secretary of State Victoria Nuland. I mean, that's one of the things that bothers me intensely. Well, is, we can probably, you can guess who Hillary Clinton's going to have in her cabinet. We all know oh, it's going to be, you know, the people who are, we know who they are. Yeah. It's. It's very, it's a very easy sort of thing to predict. Well, looking at you know the, the focus on what becomes of populism after this, it's been said uh, you know that the uh, legitimate economic discontent that a lot of people feel is going to be dismissed if Trump when Trump loses as bigotry and xenophobia for yeah, years. I said that. Yes, I thought it was you that said that. <laughs> Say more about this concern, please. I think no. I think that's the case. When Trump, look, I, I told you I've been reading all of these, going back through mainstream media's yeah. coverage of Bernie Sanders, and their their sort of incredible, dazzling cascade of hate yeah. for Bernie Sanders. And there's no doubt in my mind that they uh, that they want a way to dismiss populism. Yeah, and it doesn't matter if it is fair or unfair. And I think when Trump goes down, we are all going to be, uh, all of our concerns are going to be dismissed as, yeah. you know, so much uh, bigotry. How do they know? Because Trump's a bigot, yeah. and Trump's a populist. Trump is, Trump's against um, trade deals, therefore it's racist to be against trade deals. Right. I've, I've heard that argument. I mean, come on, people make that argument all the time. Amazing. Trump's against... Uh, 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 Trump is, you know, he, he thinks there's something wrong with the campaign finance system. It's racist to think there's something wrong with the campaign finance system. Hmm. This is I, okay. Admittedly, I have not heard someone make that argument, but it's uh, you it's not very much of a. Find, if you tried, you could find a way to do it, uh, but you could go right down the list uh, of things that Trump will discredit when he goes down. Yeah, and and so I'm not saying that that it's. I, I still want Trump to lose. Oh, of course, uh, of you course. know, I really hope Trump loses. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying that this is the, this is the situation that we're in, and you know the fact the fact that that people associate Trump with populism, it's going to hurt. And some have suggested that that a Hillary victory will hasten the end of the middle class. I mean, you, you and I have seen well, the. I don't. I don't know if it'll do that, but it will. It will. Things will continue as they have been going. That's what I would say. So the uh, the, uh, the policies of the Obama years will continue, and right. the Obama years have seen a kind of. I mean. One, the, the middle class has deteriorated. It continues oh, yeah. to deteriorate. And in fact, the, if there's a lot of different statistical ways of looking at the uh, state of you know, working class people, working, the lives of working class people, I should say. And 
one of them is the way that the uh, you know that the, that the pie is divided between uh, uh, management and labor. Um, and economists have a term for it. What do they call it? The labor share of GDP. Okay. The labor share. You can look this up. It's hit an all-time low hmm. under Obama, and it stayed there. It's not like this is going away. It's it's stuck there. Uh, and this is. It's it's interesting that this is happening while you have this president who's supposed to be the most liberal of all possible presidents. Because yeah, when when I was young, a liberal would be the kind of guy where you'd see the labor share going way up, yes. you know, yes. because he would be doing all these things to empower labor and to you know shift the um, uh, rewards to the middle class. But under Obama, it's going the the opposite direction. So we have two parties of Wall Street, so it seems. What, and, you know, I'm not sure it'll be interesting to see what direction populism takes after the election because it's not going away. It's always been there. I, I mean, that's one thing about history is you never know what's going to happen. What about democracy itself? Uh, doesn't there need to be some populist pressure to have democracy? You know, we had this rebellion in 1776, uh, t- trying to take government back from rule by the aristocracy. What happens to that after a Hillary win, do you think? To the sort of populist impulse? Yeah, well, and to democracy itself. I mean, these, things, these things come and these things go. Um, and... Uh, I, I I am very uh, pessimistic. I'll, I mean, I'll, I'm, but I'm born that way. That's who I am naturally. I mean, uh, maybe I should look on the bright side and say, yeah. you know, well, Hillary's going to get this done, and she's going to get that done, and she's going to do all of these wonderful things. But uh, I doubt it. Yeah, I doubt it too. I think there'll be more wars. Actually, she's a she's the biggest hawk. She she is a little quick on the on the trigger. That Oof. that is true. Oh my. Um, that scares the heck She's, out of me. Uh, yeah, and uh, but the the other thing is, Hillary's um, fondness for Wall Street is not, and she herself, you know, they her her supporters are always saying, "What do you think? You're saying Hillary has been bribed by Wall Street, you know, with the speeches and the huge paydays and that kind of thing." And that that's not the argument at all. I think Hillary is philosophically yes. uh, an admirer of Wall Street. Yes. She thinks that's that they are doing wonderful things for the world. Right. Um, you know, it's it's a very she has a very '90s attitude, right? As you say, that, that a very Davos kind of attitude. Um, we didn't even get to Davos, but we've reached the end of the hour. My goodness, we'll have to talk again. This is uh, such fun. His uh, latest book is called "Listen, Liberal." Uh, our guest uh, Thomas Frank also wrote uh, "What's the Matter with Canvas, Kansas?" and uh, Boy, there's a lot more work to do. we got to somehow keep populism alive. It's hard to do to keep it uh, focused and, and to uh, not let it uh, uh, be taken to the right wing, which hurts us very much. Anyway, thank you so much for being with us. It was my pleasure. Thank you. And populism is very, very difficult, oftentimes rather messy, like this song gets to be. Ah!